Small Talk Podcast with DJ Ayers on Brooklyn Radio. Oh, I know, but it's, like, it's, 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 a, it's like classic Steelers football where it's like, it's like no one, it's the ugliest possible version of the game, but it's like really fun and every, no one has any teeth. What's the, what's the best pass he ever threw and don't say the one against the Cardinals? Dude, I don't even know. The one against Green Bay that same year at the buzzer. I don't know, dude. I, like I, my memory for, for for football ain't even that good. You're, you're... So you're back. This is sports talk <laughs> with Scotty B and Skinny Friedman. Ugh. Uh, now this is small talk. My name is DJ Ayers. I've got two guests today. One is Baltimore's Scotty B, and one is uh, Pittsburgh's Skinny Friedman. What up? Yep. What's up? I think when the wire came out. There was a very small subsect of people who were who were in their twenties, expecting to hear all this Baltimore club, and then were, they were like disappointed. But th- there was one scene where they did have uh, Snoop uh, talk to somebody from DC about like, "Go go, get the fuck out of here, nuts." No, you remember the scene where the where they they were. They were walking Killing around. New York dudes. They're trying to find New York dudes, and they, and they, they would yeah, ask if they knew if they knew who Young Leek was. No, K Swift. No, it was Young. I, well, that was Young Leek. It was Jiggly. No, they asked about both. They yeah. just said, "Do you know who K Swift is?" Dude said, "No, nah, Young Leek, no." And they straight yeah. blew his cap off. Because the off. music on the wire was hilarious. Because the, if you watch the first season, it's oh, so yeah. like there's a scene where they, they show the low rises and they're playing like most deaf hip hop. Yeah, they're playing like, Star. Yeah, and then there's there's like the party where uh, like the scene where D'Angelo gets like left behind and they're playing Cage. Like oh really? Yeah, they're playing like CK one. Oh, and I it's just a know. whole bunch of like it's like like Weave like getting real wasted and they're listening to Cage and it's like oh yeah they they fired the music director after the first season. Well yeah, because they been, they turned it around entirely because that was the whole I mean like that was the whole. Once shit's a hit, you can afford to to get better music. Did yeah. you ever see the corner? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah on, and there the they had bought they had club stuff they had and this was of course it was before that so it was a little, it was more relevant. They had pull your guns out playing on on a party scene, a house party scene or something okay. else. So it was kind of a little bit more, but it, it was because when the show came out, the club stuff was more relevant. Well, the wire point. got way better. I mean, like by that, like Molly Man was like a bunch of like Baltimore rappers that had like bit parts in the show, and like they're you know by the third season, dudes were just rolling up in the car playing club music and like, I mean, yeah, dance by pain away was in a um was in a. Uh, like a house party scene, right? Yeah. Yeah, but you know, dude, but see, dudes that hustle and sell drugs ain't playing club music in their car. They ain't been doing that for 10 years. That's It that was so uncool <laughs> for dudes because, you know, dudes that selling drugs and make a lot of money ain't going to be at no club dancing. Yeah. That's just, that's just that not what happens. They come in there, you know, don't dance dudes dancing with girls. They come in with all this shit on. Fuck you! Grab the girl and they're yeah, out of there. Yeah. And that's it. And that's it. Yeah. So it was kind of like on on a, like the socially kind of way. It was off, but like a lot of them dudes, a lot of them dudes that they they were trying to portray in certain ways. I know all those dudes. They're all older dudes. Like the the guy, uh, um. Bodie, Bar- there's you had a Bodie and you had a Boxdale, but there was a Bodie Boxdale. There was oh, a like guy it. named Bodie Boxdale, okay. not it, like they made it two different people. <clears throat> but there's a Bodie Boxdale, and he's older than me. You know what <laughs> I mean? And you know he's been through a rough life. I mean, he's a cool dude, but you know he's did everything. He sold drugs, took drugs, shot people, did this, robbed, and that's what he did all his life. You know what I mean? 
and had some setbacks too. I mean, don't think he wasn't on the set up there hooting and hollering, I want some money for this shit, and you motherfuckers going to stop taking my name. Yeah, and don't he's like the me real no- Rick Ross. Yep. Um, when do you remember Baltimore getting real violent? It always I, Since I've been living, it's always been that way. It wasn't crack? It no, wasn't crack, crack wasn't no big hit there. Baltimore, really? No, Baltimore always been a heroin town. Oh, okay. Baltimore love thing. Yeah, yeah. Baltimore's always been a dope town. Needle pushers. Yeah, so dope, and dope has been around forever. Of course, people smoke crack. You know what I mean? But not the dope never left. Baltimore's always a little different with a lot of stuff, just like the house music, because Baltimore always been dancers. Like when Dominatrix was out, they you go to a black club, they playing Dominatrix, they're playing the New Order, they're playing stuff like that. It's always been a little different. So you know they, you know heroin, crack came, crack didn't conquer Baltimore. Heroin's like we're gonna keep this. That's <laughs> what it is. It gotta be different. It's like that when Baltimore sticks on something, they ride with that and they don't really listen to nothing else. You know what I mean? They they kind of it's just like if they want to gentrify this neighborhood for real, two years this be done. It'd be flat, brand new, everything. In New York, if they want to do something, it gets done. Mm-hmm. Baltimore, no sir. I want this. I want this. Then you had to oh, the building uh, is historical. Of course, I know you got that here, but that shit they they pushed them down the street. Not Baltimore, they, man, it, and it, it shit takes so long to progress. It's like a third world country. Yep. It just doesn't change. It takes uh, so long to change. It, the, the first time I went to Baltimore, the crazy shit to me was how many empty houses there are. Like how you'll drive, there are certain parts that you'll drive through where you'll go down blocks and blocks and blocks and like one or two houses has people in them. Right, and or and big empty grass spaces where it used to be houses that were. I mean, it's oh, it's. It's like Detroit minus the arson. <laughs> and when when did that happen? When, when when was the big sort of migration out of Baltimore? Of course, I mean every city got that same after the riot story. Yeah. But um, I mean basically then you know I mean it was a million people in Baltimore in the sixties, mm-hmm. and now it's six hundred thousand. Yeah. So, you know, you got you got a bunch of places that people used to occupy. You don't have people. You got buildings down or empty grass because they knocked the buildings down. It's just progressively over time, it's it was never like a, a peak and valley. It was always a strong number moving all the time. You know what I mean? It's just. And there was um, the main thing there was the harbor before, right? Like that was that was why a lot of people were there because they were working in the harbor. Is there, or what was the main industry? I guess is what I'm asking. What were the jobs that people had before there were no jobs? Uh, I mean, it was always a port industry, mm-hmm. not the harbor like service. I mean, no, like yeah, ports, yeah, ports, yeah. right? And you know, shipping, uh, you know, shipping on boats. Uh, you had steel mills, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and, and the the mills, the steel plants, yeah, Bethlehem Steel, they employed 20,000 people, gone. I mean, you know, the same thing everywhere else, industry, you know, your industry jobs, they were, they were, that's what kept Baltimore working. Yeah. Gone. Yeah. I was, uh, I was telling you about when I, when I was in college, I was in Poughkeepsie, uh, and in Poughkeepsie, they had a big IBM plant. And so that's like a, and Poughkeepsie is a small, much smaller city, obviously, than, 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 
uh, Baltimore or uh, Andy, you're from Pittsburgh. Um, but it, it's a sort of a similar story in that between crack um, and uh, the IBM factory closing in 1989 and both those things hitting at the same time and then like highways and big box stores making it so that you didn't have to go into town to buy shit. You know, you could just stay out. Like what they did, what they did in Baltimore was they have a beltway. Yeah. They started building the malls on the beltway. The beltway courses five minutes at any point outside of the city. It's with, a loop, right? With arteries going in. You yeah. know what I mean? Like Atlanta or DC or any DC, of them, right? Yeah. All the malls they started building uh, in the late '60s or in the early '60s, actually, because Mondama was is is a mall built is in in the city. What was it called? Mondaman. So after that, and people started moving, they started building the malls on that beltway. So then people didn't have to go to Mondaman or anywhere else, in, or Howard Street, which was a street shopping district. Mm. They could just go to Towson and Owens Mills Mall and Westview, which was the first one, Security Mall, the East Point, they all built, Marley Station, all the built on that. So, so same thing. Yeah. They make it convenient. Like, and then, or there's 83 which you probably took to go straight to Sonar, right? Because yeah. at the foot, it's at the foot of 83 is Sonar. Yeah. Well, then people didn't have to drive the streets and, and shop at A&M stores, like even on the way to work. Yeah. They just take 83, you bypass all the hoods, bang. So then it's like in the city, you can't get nice stuff. You can, oh, hell you can no. go to the, to the bodega, you can go to the, the corner store, but you're not going to the supermarket. Right. There are no supermarkets in the hood, never. Yeah, food deserts. Trying to talk about you can't. They open close, open close. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. interesting because Baltimore. I mean, like the the you know, being from Pittsburgh, like the Rust Belt and what happened to every single city in Rust Belt is always it's interesting to me. And I mean, especially upstate New York because those are smaller cities where there's like one big factory it closes, everything's fucked. Pittsburgh and like Cleveland had one industry, and you look at the difference between Pittsburgh and Cleveland. It's that Pittsburgh saw the future and said, all right, we, we're not going to be able to eat off of steel forever, so we got to like do something about this and basically like handle their business in the 80s, were depressed for 20 years and have turned it around. Cleveland didn't. Cleveland's still a hot mess. But it's weird to talk about Baltimore because I know they had a lot of steel, but the ports, like they actually had a diversified industry. Like they had a lot of stuff going on and or at least a few different industries going on and they didn't have crack. So it's crazy that, that, that Baltimore still had this like collapse in the 80s. Well, you know that... I mean, it says a lot about the strength of like all the, you know, all the highway development and stuff that, like the, you know, that that shit that started with Robert Moses. Well, you know, one side of one, you may say one whole side of Baltimore suburbs is shared with DC suburbs. So anybody, right, right, they're gonna go there. You know what I mean? So, you know, if you ever research it, and I just did this because I heard about it. And I'm gonna tell you why that it made me even think about doing it, but, but I, I I don't know how it was done here. I know about blockbusting and all that stuff, but Baltimore by the city was engineered to be um, racially segregated by the city. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know they their policy was this neighborhood is for blacks publicly. Yeah. And this is why say it started with the public housing. These are the white projects, and these are the black projects. And then they actually went to blocks and streets. This is what this is. 
Wow. Yeah, you can look it up. So this is like going back to like like when when was this being put in action? Like thirties. Thirties, yeah. You know, thirties, forties, thirties, twenties, thirties, forties. Like it was funny because my daughter went to a private school that was close as that wall to the projects. Mm-hmm. And basically, except for one project, all the projects in Baltimore now that are still standing are predominantly black. So everybody would say, damn, motherfuckers spent all that money to send kids to private school projects right there, right? And I was, you know, it, it is strange. You know, I'm like, what the fuck? I mean, in New York, it may not be because I see settings that are different. But in Baltimore, it's not like that. You know what I mean? where you see a lot of diversity walking, like a billionaire and a bum, you know, walking past each other every day like, you know, they don't notice each other, but they share the same space. It's not like that about people that are the same, share the same space, but it's different, they don't. Yeah. So, you know, I wonder, like, I mean, it didn't concern me, but I'm like, that is strange. You know, that is really strange. And so it come to find out, once I looked the shit up, that was a white project when they built it. So that's why the church settled there, because they thought they were safe. Yeah. You know, and that was it. So, you know, Baltimore got, you know, you probably couldn't pull it off here because it's too big and too many people would right away be on it. Yeah. But them little hick towns like Baltimore that are just small enough, you can pull it off and big enough that there's a reason that you're doing it, or somebody feels there's a reason to make money or to do whatever. You can pull that kind of shit over people's eyes for a while until yeah. people start getting hip to it. Yeah. Well, and if they're if when it's happening, it's the 1920s, and you're black, you're completely disempowered. So it's not like you're going to have anything to say about it anyway. It's not like there's a whole bunch of black folks on the council who are going to be like, "Wait a minute," you know, like yeah. you, no, you're right. You're going to go where people tell you to go. Yeah. You're glad to have a damn roof over your head. Yeah. yeah. I, I was just reading um, about Detroit uh, in. Um, Oh, what was it? Um, Middlesex, uh, and they're talking about um, the bottom in in Detroit. The talking about the neighborhood that was that was predominantly black, and and it was saying then that like the city wouldn't pick up the trash from there. Isn't that crazy? You know, that's crazy. Like, there's lots of places where they didn't have running water yet. Like, people would just piss and shit like in the ditch. I don't know about in New York, but in Baltimore, they also had a thing with the Jewish population. They moved them around, too. Yeah. You know, when they decided they wanted to take a certain area, I'm Jewish. They moved the Jews along. You know, y'all got to go somewhere else. You yeah. got to go somewhere else. I don't know if you know what Roland Park is. It's an affluent neighborhood of Baltimore City. There's a famous picture of Roland Park pool, no Jews or blacks allowed. You know, and... and it's just that uh, you know, after a while, you know, being a Jew, I mean, I, I, I've seen you know, Jews have a funny way of handling those kind of situations. You know, they don't get all loud in the paper. They never was that type of people. They just, you know, they quietly. All right, at some point they get to the point like, you can't do this to us no more. Yeah. Why can't you? Because I got too much right here. You know, I, 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 I just, I'm just not, I'm not moving. And that's not what I'm doing, and that's that. Yeah. You know what I mean? It, it, it is, there's nothing you do about it. It's because they don't spend, we don't spend time and energy on a whole lot of hooping and hollering because they don't do nothing but get you tired and mad. You and know we're also I mean? not like like disenfranchised the way that. I mean, the history of Jews has basically been like we get kicked out of places until 
were somewhere long enough to get a, to get basically acquire enough to get yeah, to get a foothold in where they can't move us out. And it's because like in like you know like this goes back you know I mean Jews were traditionally they wouldn't let us have a lot of jobs in like the eight hundreds so we all ended up being bankers and that's why. Do you know my last name is Rice? Yeah. R I C E. Yeah. You know when they my people came here it was not spelled R I C E. Yeah. It I was spelled R E I S S. Yeah. Because oh, Reese, yeah. they wanted to change they changed the spell it so people would know they were Jews. You know, people that are older that not they may not have been in the Holocaust, but they were around during that time. Yeah. They're very low key with their religion. They say stuff, you you probably be like, Are you serious? <laughs> even Jews, even people that are not Jews be like, Are you crazy? You can't let people like you know, during circus, you have the, the hut in the front, yeah. right? So in, in certain parts of Baltimore, they are the Orthodox and they run shit. You know what I mean? And just like here. And then right next to them, you have a neighborhood of reform. And they don't mix, yeah. right? My, my family reform. My older, older family, Orthodox, but you know over time, assimilation, yeah, such yeah, yeah. Anyway, so my aunt, who was a zillion years old, she see the Orthodox with the, you know, the, she's like, why do they got to put that in the front? Why can't they put that in the back? And, and I, you know, I asked my Hebrew school teacher, I was like, my aunt says this, why? you know, and they explained it to me that some people still have a sensitivity. And in the back of their mind, they got a fear. Yeah. They, they have a fear. This, you know, to them, this is no different than Germany. If you to put a it out degree. There, they're going to come and get you. Yeah. That they could. If something want to go down, they know right where to come if yeah. they want to start. You know, that's, yeah. that's just the way she would, you know what she else she would say? Why do they got to wear yarmulkes? <laughs> Moses never wore a yarmulke. <laughs> I said, I mean, are you that old? <laughs> well, because Char Charles and Heston didn't wear the yarmulke on the movie. Is that why you're saying that? Man. It's, that's like, I don't know. It's, dude. This is some shit that I think about a lot, obviously. I don't know. Like, the whole... Because the whole generation of... I don't even know where to start rambling about Judaism. I'm not even going to start. Never mind. <laughs> I got a lot of thoughts on it, but that's just boring. Maybe. Okay. <laughs> Let's listen to some more music. Let's get back to club music. Um, We're recording this on Tuesday, October 22nd, and so we have a release together out today on TNA Records uh, and Unruly Records, your label, which we collaborated on it, and it was a fucking lot of work and I'm really happy we're done and I'm real happy with how it came out uh, and Skinny Freeman you've got a remix on there I do this is House for All and um, it's uh, Blunted Dummies and this record's like 20 years old and Scotty who is who's, who is in Blunted Dummies Blunted Dummies is Sean Caesar and Ty James and that was the biggest record that we ever had before I'm the Ish yeah yeah that was that was it. So tell me about this record. Um, when this was out, uh, I mean, it's obviously it's kind of more house uh, than it is what people think of when they think of like rowdy ass Baltimore club music. It had other stuff on it. It had it, it had Yo Yo Where the Hose at and a couple other records. Yeah. You know Sean got inspired to make this by something that he heard 
Stretch Armstrong play at the Red Zone. The same, like I had a, we always got a Stretch Armstrong story about playing hip hop at parties. That at one time when the Baltimore Club thing in the mid 90s, it was house and Baltimore Club. And when that stuff was hot, you didn't play any hip hop. At, at, at the hip hop parties, you didn't play no hip hop. And um, we had started going, coming here, listening to DJs. And I know at one time it was like that here too, but it was getting out of that. It had just got out of that playing house all night at the hip hop parties here. It never did that in Baltimore. It did that, it took a long time. Here it was just a phase. So we came up here and it was a record he was playing called Hit Him With The Bass that Dave Morales did that never came out. That used that music, rock and rock and music thing. Which is the Blackbirds. Right. And um... Which Blackbirds are from? Happy Music. And uh, he uh, got the idea that to recreate it. It was kind of like when we we tried to explain the Baltimore early Baltimore club mentality was to take this, take this, take this, take that loop and trick it up, boom, boom, boom. I mean, he did a house record out of it, but it was the same kind of formula. And, and the, the Stretch Armstrong hip hop story is uh, we he and went Shonda went first, heard this stuff, and then he said, "You got to go with me to the red zone." So I go. And um, matter of fact, uh, I got it wrong. Dave Morales was playing the record when Sean went the first time. And then I went and Stretch was playing. And he also played it, but then he played, he was playing, you know, like Child Call Quest scenario, and then that's when it was out. Then he was playing like uh, The Bridge is Over. Then he was playing, you know, Nice and Smooth, uh, hip hop junkies. It was back forth, back forth. Old new, old new, old new. Right? Party, party. Yeah. And then uh, he played Super by um, Kenny Dope. Yeah, the breakbeat. And it took us. We went straight back to work the next week. It's this record they was playing in New York, and we need it. We need a hundred of them. Don't know what you're talking about. Well, not yet. Right? Don't know what you're talking about. Don't know what you're talking about. Don't talking about. We said, you know what? Though? Okay. Out and cuss? Yeah. Fuck that. We said, fuck that, no problem. We uh, said, you know what, Sean? That shit he's doing, we could play hip-hop in Baltimore. If we, all we got to do is do, do what he's doing, play old records and play new records. And it started off playing four records or five records. And all the DJs started having the quote-unquote hip-hop set. And it was a lot of the same stuff they would play. You know, one or, one or two of the, you know, Poor Righteous Teachers or... Everybody would play Dope Man N.W.A., you know what I mean? And just rowdy records and Scenario and Black Sheep, Engine Engine Number Nine, and that kind of stuff. And it grew and it grew and it grew and it grew. I mean, it's kind of hard for people to grasp it when they're outside because actually the beginning of Baltimore Club at the same time was the end of it. And I know it's kind of hard to envision, but like at that time, that was like when that vinyl with House for All was right when we put out I Got the Rhythm, and then we became unruly and started doing them together. But like I'm telling you, that was the same time we heard the hip hop, how to start re 
playing the hip hop stuff in Baltimore again. So in a funny kind of way, the because now you don't you don't play a lot of club at the Baltimore parties only when it's an older crowd or maybe a few, but you don't go crazy with it. So kind of the way and that and remember that that was the first club finals. So kind of in a way we started playing the beginning of the club music and the clubs at the same time we were playing what would become the end of it, which was playing hip hop all over again. It's kind of funny because it, it came at the beginning of the club thing, which lasted 15 to 20 years strong. Yeah. But at the same time that that was growing and then the hip hop started at the same time, it's just strange. It kind of, it's strange if you weren't there to see it. And a lot of people, if they aren't involved in, in the music on the business end, man, they don't care. They go to parties, they leave, they hide, they drunk, they don't care. They, you can't even talk to them about this. They won't even understand what you're saying, and they were there. You know what I mean? But to try to make certain people understand concepts of things, it's kind of a tough thing to do. You know, they'll understand, oh, yeah, I know that song was a shit. I remember that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember you guys used to play the hip-hop set right in the middle of the party, and then go back to the club, like, play Honest, Throw Your Guns in the Air, stuff like that. But they don't even kind of realize it, that it's just, it's a funny path. Just put it that way. Things just are just strange. It was funny that the beginning of the club was actually the end of it at uh-huh. the same time. And there was a Miami bass influence, clearly, in a, in a lot of it, uh, especially like the call and the response uh, stuff on the records and the and the DJs jumping on the records. Uh, w- was that stuff popping off in Baltimore in the 80s or was that some shit that, the, that as DJs you were putting into the to your records? Like were you playing Two Life Crew in the club there? Yeah. Like well I mean it started with Throw the Throw That Dick. You know what I mean? That's an 80s record. And um you know when they started making, you know, Me So Hornies and all that, they were kind of commercial. But I mean there's a whole gang of Miami records that are throw that dicks were real basic 808 party records. And I mean, you know, 808 is the backbone of hip hop. So it just fits, you know what I mean? It's the right pace. And it's, it, it, I mean, it's been said a hundred times and it's, it's true, you know, that you can hear all the influences in a Baltimore club record. It's house and hip hop and Miami bass. And I, I mean, and that's really it. You know what I mean? Baltimore has never been a reggae town. Uh, when you play reggae in Baltimore, you play Diwali rhythm, still heavy. Start with it. You know what I mean? And, you know, it's one or two that might be hot now. You know what I mean? But they got to be like really big records like uh, drinking um, rum and Red Bull, Red whatever Bull, yeah. it's called. Stuff like them kind of records. Yeah. You not, Reggae's never been really like that big. Of course, you know, every so often, there's a hot artist. Sean every Paul five or day. ten years, right. A Sean, Paul, Mavado's not Cat big. Right. In the 90s. Right. Um, is there not a big Caribbean population in, no. in Baltimore? That's why? Right. There's a, there's some dudes. Like, there's one dude, they call him Rasta, right? That he owned the after hours. Wait, there's one dude called the Rasta. No, no, no. But it's funny. That's how it's not really that big. <laughs> no, He's called the, Rasta, there's right? There's one Rasta. In he Baltimore. owned a club, an after hour club. I played at recently, and he could never get Jamaicans to come. <laughs> that, but he wasn't in the actual neighborhood where they live. Yeah. There's two like little pockets where they live, and he wasn't in at either one. But 
he just couldn't get them to come. They didn't want to go to him because he wasn't in their neighborhood. Mm. There's two little pockets. One's in Park Heights and one's in Northeast Baltimore. You know, but they it's it's they're not they don't have a big influence there. Scotty, what year did, did this come out? Do you remember? Maybe uh, 97. I always feel like, you know, when that explosion happened, you know, like the holotronics thing and all that, that everything that people was looking for had already happened. Yeah. You know, and I, it's like, that's why a lot of times you would get people coming from overseas or out of town with cameras, and they want to come, oh, I, I want to go where you're playing at, that's fine. But I don't play club music there. You know what I mean? It's just, you get that feeling. It's the same vibe. It's rowdy, people acting up. They're the same people. It's a lot of the same people, <clears throat> the same guys, right? Yeah. Like if you hear a mixed live tape, it'll be the same shout outs with different music. I mean, dudes are 30, 40 years old, still acting the fuck up, want to represent their corner. But I, I, I kind of feel bad because the stuff that people would like almost have that idea about coming to Mecca to go to Baltimore to the Paradox and hear it. Yeah, you'll hear it, but it's not the same. When it's, it like, was, it's like going to New York to hear like, like I don't know, Black Moon in 2013. Exactly. It's like, you know, that's not, that's not the bleeding edge anymore. No, you're right. Yeah, I mean, I think if you don't come when Rock the Bells is happening, like, you're going to be disappointed if yeah. you're trying to hear a whole bunch of Tribe Called Quest. Right. And, like, anything. And that it matters. And that it matters to the crowd that's hearing it. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, that's the other thing. Yeah, yeah. not only not only you're not going to hear it, like, the crowd doesn't want to hear it. Like, they're over it. That's you're why, just late. Yeah, yeah, course, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's, that's most of it. You know, that's most as being, there's one DJ, and, yeah, he's controlling a lot of shit, right? But... He's not amongst 1,500 people that it's just a, it's a brotherhood amongst them every week. You know what I mean? That same crowd that comes, it's always a brotherhood. You don't even, we might don't even know each other's name, but we see each other bit by boom and, and wild out together and zap out and that fun. You know, that, that's, that nobody, like the, the holotronics era didn't get that. They didn't, weren't able to experience it. It's kind of a shame because I'm not, I'm not going to say, it was fake or anything. They really rode for that stuff when it was happening. They, the hot, that that crew, they rode for that Baltimore stuff heavy. You know what I mean? And they really couldn't get it the way it was. It ain't their fault. It ain't the Baltimore clubs' fault. It's just the, the timing wasn't there. It just is a shame because when you would go to the Paradox in 1995, and it was 15, 16, 1700 people there every Friday, and not 12 year olds. Well, 40 olds, it was people 18 to 23, 24. I mean, it was club all night. Part of it got to do with it wasn't getting played on the radio. So if you wanted to hear it and hear it new, and your paradox has that sound system, that was it. That was so it. That's like saying uh, whatever house clubs, and you know, from the early 80s here whatever that you can talk about or even before that Paradise Garage yeah, stories yeah. Legendary, you know what I mean? that's yeah. what that was well it's it's interesting so I just like as anyone from like you know my generation or I don't know like 
there's a certain era of like DJing has definitely changed, and um, that's sort of when you talk about how like the Holotronics crew had a different sense of like what were the big records and what was really popping. Um, and he's talking about the crowds that went to the party. He's not talking about the DJs. Right. Well, what I was gonna say the flip side of that is like the thing is you did have the same um, kind of like camaraderie with Holotronics with the Rub with Savalas back in the day, where it was like, I mean. It's it's it was a different situation, but it was like you see the same people all the time. The same records are popping, and there's like, a, there's not a lot of rhyme or reason behind why some of the records are big. It's just sort of like, like some records are. I, I guess where I'm going with this is like it's weird how DJ culture has changed from being. You 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 don't see these parties as much anymore where they're really music centric, where the DJs. I don't know, it's something I really like that seems like a something I really miss about DJing in general, which is like you go to parties and there's just like a scene at a party and there's big records and um That's least- because that's you know what that is? That's because the experience that they're looking for is different and they've already experienced it by being home. They get it at home. It's it's just like we were talking about things being convenient and up and technology and how it's always wins unfortunately it's not always for the better of what we do you know what i mean or for yeah. the person that has a love for a certain thing you know what i mean but it was like with the paradox the paradox stopped being big with the younger crowd because they could hear it at, at home on the radio once they started hearing, once it started being on 92q real heavy once, K- once the docs never had like a monopoly on club music it was well yeah. all the clubs did yeah you know all the clubs had that and the, it was mixtapes it was an axis between mixtapes and clubs once the radio got it even though of course it wasn't in rotation of course it wasn't even it was a mix show right yeah. but it was and the mix show wasn't even that frequent <clears throat> but you could get it there yeah and then the people that were doing the mix shows on the radio ended up putting out cds so it, it just became a whole commercial thing like it was packaged <clears throat> to be this is what this is Instead of you go there and the DJ you does it. it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Just like it's that people don't go to the clubs anymore, really, to party in that kind of way. They in general they don't. They go there to hear exactly what they want to hear. I mean, I can't tell you how many times people nowadays, because they got iTunes and they think they got iTunes that they got a DJ's list. They come in there, look at the damn Serato screen, and look. Can you play that or? Oh, I hate motherfucker. that. Motherfucker. Nice time. One bitch told me one time, can you scroll? Like, bitch, scroll out of here. What the fuck's wrong with you? I had to mush a chick in Indianapolis last week. She just like <laughs> walked into the booth and was like, like pointing at my screen and touching it. I was just like, get out of here. But they think they, they, you know, basically they have access to the music. And because I think the way DJs play now, it isn't that. It isn't like it used to be. It's not like what they're doing is inaccessible by the regular guy. So you're basically, a lot of dudes are just playing records. I mean, anybody can do that. Anybody can go well, in there and play a record. I mean, I, this is, I mean, I just spent, so I just spent like a week in the Midwest just basically hanging out with DJs and, you know, talking about what's changed and what sucks now. And like, I feel like DJing has sort of split into these two constituent parts where it's like there's these people that are just basically super competent I like iPods. They just play the hits and they're really good at it. Yeah, they don't a, take any chances. And then there's like famous people that don't give a fuck and play whatever they want. And I don't know. I feel like we come from an era where you had to be somewhere in the middle. Where like on one hand you had to know people wanted to hear. On the other hand, like you also enjoyed it enough that if you got if you were wasted and you decided that 1:30 a.m. was the appropriate time to play Who Let the Dogs Out because 
it's what you felt like playing, you could also do that. And I mean, that's an extreme example, but like, I don't know, like, I don't, I don't want this to turn into two dudes sitting around complaining about the old days, but when you, it's just, it's more just the way you were talking about the progression of stuff and the club being a scene, like, like the scene around a club and, and music as a, as like a nightlife situation. It's like, that's, that's something that really, I don't see as much these days. So I don't know. I just wanted to connect those dots. Well, I used to always say that I wasn't a producer, and I still say that. You know what I mean? Like, because sometimes you would, certain boards, you know, Holler Board, it was never, you know, Baltimore Club, when it was hot, was that it wasn't even questioned. If you even said anything, you basically got got yourself banned by, you know, by publicity. You know what I mean? You were out of there. But, like, on um, Disco Bell, every once in a while, somebody said, you know, talk about something I did, something, oh, you know, why are you guys arguing about that? That's terrible, right? And I, I mean, I understood their reasoning. First of all, it wasn't something they were really listening to over there. You know, it wasn't as well produced as what they were used to. <clears throat> and second is, you know, the stuff that you, like the stuff they were used to hearing, they got, everything they got, they got over computer speakers first. Yeah. So the stuff they heard and they were used to hearing did sound a hundred times better than anything Scotty V ever dreamed of doing. Coming over computer speakers, I, I try to explain to him. I said, "Look, I'm not a producer. You know, I'm a I'm a DJ, and I make little things yeah. that's work the on the floor. Of five records at once, right? You just you play them on it. the floor. I said, yeah. if you're a DJ, play this. It'll work for you. I promise. But if you're just a dude that likes the stuff that you're listening to, yeah, I, I ain't gonna sit there and lie to you and yeah. say that I even I know for a fact that's not as well produced." as what you're listening to I mean, this constantly. Is like the Why do your kick drums sound so fucking hard, though? <laughs> like, that was always my thing, is like, I want my kick drums to sound like Scotty's. Um, be because they were always a combination. Insanely compressed? Were you layering what were you no, doing? Um, th yeah, they were basically, like, somewhere, because we all liked house, and we all liked hip-hop, it's, it's all, <clears throat> it was just such a coincidence that everything takes that route. So we liked... The 808 is the hip-hop drum, and the 909 is the house drum, so we always tried to have something that was along being the combination of those. Uh -huh. And that just was it. It just was a different drum. It, you know, sometimes the 808 can be so round and so... It loses. You don't hear the top of it. It's too right. Smooth. And then, you know, the 808, sometimes it could be a little little light. Now, of course, not all the time. You tune to do whatever you want, but... You know, we had 808 and a 909 mentality, so it just, it was just very unconsciously came out in everything. What were you and, producing on? Yeah. First, it's uh, EPS or, uh, um, what was the one after the EPS? ASR 10. Oh, oh yeah. Okay. Cool used the uh, SP. Uh -huh. But he was a hip hop guy. His stuff sounds a certain way. Well, I mean, at the beginning, we said, you know, it, it, not the exact beginning, but a few records in, I said, you know what, I'm going to, you know what, the, all the hip-hop dudes do is they make, they take a loop of one song and then get another loop and break that loop up and make a new one. And they run them at the same time. I said, so I'm going to do it. I'm going to make a two-track record. And it became huge, one called Independence. It's just boom, that, boom, boom, boom. It's broke up with another loop under it. When it comes in, it just, it's two sequences. Wow. And was huge because it crunched yeah. when it hit it crunched like I mean a lot of times that you know there, there is a fine line between 
uh, the way you record sound quality wise and your programming. I mean, they over there's certain parts they do overlap on. You know what I mean? And, and when you master that part, then you got something over top people that just don't understand that that they're has sound good. That's over there. Program that's over there. Yeah. There is a part that overlaps that your thing sounds good because of the way you're programmed. And it definitely is a bigger part than that, that the way you know how to record it affects, is, is part of the program. I mean, that's why Will I Am is successful. He's a garbage producer, but he's an incredible engineer. Like, he takes the corniest samples possible, but everything he does sounds wonderful. Yeah, and I mean, the, the, the thing to, to, that I take away from these Baltimore records is like, <clears throat> they're distorted in the right places, but you can still hear the vocals and like, there's it's usually not a whole lot other than drums and vocals so the the drums like you can compress the fuck out of them and make them sound real real loud like they, they just smash and they blow everything else out because these other every other record that you're talking about that sounds quote unquote well produced is like they're making room for a bass line and a guitar part and a piano and, and like in Baltimore Club you don't have to make room for all that stuff. Well, like, there ain't no whole lot might, of stuff. There yeah. might be a horn part, but that's gonna be in the same range as the vocals, and so everything below that is just the kick drum. All the low end is 808 and drums, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, um, when when do you remember like who was the first uh, DJ you heard uh, do a do a record where they were rapping or singing on it? Like on a Baltimore joint. Yeah. Uh, um, I DJ Freeze was one of them. Uh, well, I mean, Sean and them did on the other flip side of the house. Father did Yo Yo with the hose at. That was, I mean, of course, that's just a chant. Yeah. But it wasn't a sample. <clears throat> Frank Ski, Frank Ski, he did it. He did Doo Doo Brown. He did a couple other ones after Doo Doo Brown. So it would probably have to be him. Give me the track. Stop! Everybody on the floor just pause. Somebody in the middle just move. Get on down to the groove. Doo Brown, Brown, the brand new brother in town. Yeah, boy. Dope. Doo Brown, smooth. A brother that's so damn cool. Never get played for a fool. Now it's my turn to rule. Yo, man, Doo Brown, the Michael Jackson never had. That doodle don't sport no Jerry Curl juice. Don't doodle sound with y'all about. Don't drink Pepsi, always Coke. You got the right one, baby. That's right. Dope. Doodle Brown. Yo, doodle, man, what you got for me now? Yeah. Did y'all think of that as a house record? No, what? Well, no, uh, you know what? I, of course, they sampled it from True Live Crew, but a lot of people, a lot of times, don't realize that because <clears throat> that loop actually isn't 808s, and it's you know it's just snare and kick drum, you just stock stuff. You know what I mean? And it's loop because they're on the on the Luke record, on the True Live Crew record, it's very short. And. Uh, it's you know it's just like percolated. People call that a Baltimore club record. Yeah. That ain't got a daggone thing. It just 
kind of came along time-wise. It was a it was a crossover record. Like the yeah. places that Baltimore Club hit besides Baltimore didn't didn't really mess with house, but they messed with that. So I think that's why it always got lumped in with the Baltimore, because that was the only 130 stuff they were listening to. Yeah. In Mississippi, weirdly, when I was growing up, it was more about electro, but like 80s sounding electro. Right. So the, you know, which is, goes hand in hand with, with uh, Miami bass, because they're made on 808s and it's the same tempo. Um, but like electro music would be a little bit like a little bit darker and a little bit smoother. That stuff and got there's, played there's Baltimore heavy. Out of Miami too, but like not not the two life crew kind of like rapping party record. I uh, don't know, like stuff on Streetwise. Yeah. A lot of stuff on Streetwise. That that stuff was big in Baltimore and the hood clubs. Yeah. Dominatrix Sleeps Tonight, Funky Makosa. Yeah. On, yeah. On, 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 on. Yeah. I mean, that's, they, that was a lot of 808. And Lionel, they were drum machine records. Besides yeah. the synth parts, I mean, they were. That's crazy because Dominator was like that was like a New York. I thought that was like a New York like like um, I don't know like a. Yeah, I don't know. I, when I found their record, I didn't know anything about it, and I always thought that was like you know sort of like a, a New Yorky like new wave dance record. So that's crazy. I mean, it probably was At what it point. was yeah. when it first hit. But I mean, you know you. DJs get a hold of records. It's funny. It could, it could take one spin by one DJ at yeah. the exact certain moment, and all of a sudden, it's as big as a Jay Z record. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because it, it's like, a, so this is just like, like this going back to the idea of like the club and a club being a scene and stuff. Like, this is also something that you know you talk about people on the internet like listening to music and being like, oh, this doesn't make sense. Trying to figure it out. Like, the other thing is like, there's a lot of weird. A lot of music doesn't make sense outside of the club. And this is something you see with rap these days where it's like dudes will be listening to stuff on their computer and they're like, oh, this is garbage. And this is like, I don't understand. Like the rapping is simple and everything. But if you hear it in the club when it's loud as shit and it's, you know, like the entire Migos record is like just full of things that are fun to yell in a club and those tracks sound amazing played loud enough to explode your head. If you've never heard them that loud, they're not going to make any sense. Oh, I think they're terrible. I, I, yeah, I do. I feel you. You yeah, know when what? you hear him sober, you're just like, this is, <laughs> well, we this is I'm not, We don't have to argue the merits of Migos right here, but you know what I mean. It was the same thing with Flocka hit. It's like, this is dumb as hell. And then you hear, oh, let's do it in the club. And you're like, I love the world. So the, what we're listening to right now is the the record that you referenced, the Dominatrix sleeps tonight, which uh, if you weren't around in the '80s, probably sounds so fucking strange to you. But if you if you were around, then you were roller skating to this. <laughs> that just is what it is. Um, That's because um, I had noticed it was a hit. Oh my lord! Like New Order was on Streetwise when they first started. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, and um. The, the example I always give of, of that kind of shit is uh, um, that Arthur Baker remixed um, uh, Information Society. Right. You remember that song, Running? Of course. Yeah. The big record in that Baltimore. That was a huge record. Humongous. That, that one mix, the, the, oh, the, the Nest, the Nest remix, unbelievable. That's so funny. Because the only Information Society record I know is, didn't they do I Want to Know What You're Thinking? I want to know. Yeah. No, Running yeah. was crazy. Oh, my God. Man. 
that one mix, the one is that oh my god, that was a big record in Baltimore, huge. But Arthur Baker was on all the streetwise stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he did Planet Rock. Yeah. <laughs> this is Bryn Mawr and DJ Fade. I've never heard this. <laughs> it's really new. He sent it to me the other day. This is like real ill. That's, that's something cool breeze with him, That shit is hard. Yeah. Very much from Chicago, right? Yeah, he's I mean, he's here now, but yeah. Who's DJ Fade, though? Is that someone's alias? I don't know DJ Fade. That's someone's alias. I think it's... <laughs> I think it's somebody from Baltimore, though. I think it's like a young guy from Baltimore. Yeah? I'm not sure. A lot of times them dudes, like the club dudes, that people don't know them because nobody listens to that stuff in the club, so they don't get big off of being DJs. So they're bedroom yeah. guys, right? Yeah. They're just yeah. SoundCloud guys. Yep. Like nobody, nobody, DJ PA ain't DJing nowhere. Yeah. Nowhere, zero. Murder Mark. Nowhere. I mean, you know, maybe here and there, Murder Mark a little bit because they, they support their own stuff really heavy. Yeah. And you know, they're doing the city paper and they're doing blog stuff and all that. I mean, they're really pushing. They're real cool, stuff. but they're not getting that street support. Like, people look at them like, people look at people like that, not necessarily them, like, they're clowns. I mean, they're not, there's always a street thing and a, a thug vibe to stuff, and they just couldn't go into place. They just ain't, they ain't gonna be them type of dudes that go into them kind of places. They just yeah. not. Yeah. That's interesting. It's because, I mean, like, it's so this and this is a whole question of like the legacy of Baltimore Club and like because Jersey Club right now is having a moment and like I mean it's cool to see Jersey Club it's cool to see Slink up there who's like 21 like up there playing on the festival circuit and playing like you know getting like you know getting the kind of love that like you know dudes like Carnage I don't know basically getting up there like you know being third or fourth headliner on tour links and stuff playing basically you know a different version of Baltimore Club and I was actually on tour with, uh, on tour, God, it sounds like grandiose. Uh, James Nasty was out in the Midwest this last week too, and I was talking to him a lot about this. Um, and we were sort of just talking about how, like what Baltimore, how Baltimore should be seeing some of that shine too, and what can be done about that. So. Baltimore needs to start making music. I mean, it's just simple as that. Yeah. People are not listening to Watch Out for the Big Girl no more. Yeah. And there has to be something new. You know, like, what's Nike gonna do in 20 years? What's what? Nike gonna do. There's not no. There's not a next Jordan. Yeah. You know they will keep making Jordan, keep making Jordan, keep getting four, keep making five, keep making six, keep making thirteen. You know what I mean? What, 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 what are you gonna do in twenty years? But I mean, like, yeah, if he didn't have a LeBron, or it's still like, it, but it's still like gonna but, be but that the flip Jordan. Side, like, like you know, bring out the cats was like a smash for a year and a half before it got an official release. I'm sorry, but it'll be the last time. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like that was. I mean, that's a crazy story. But like, you know, that track was like just a, basically a bootleg until Night Slugs finally realized no one was actually cashing in on it. Uh. Yep. Okay. You already know. 
You already know what it is. It's your boy Jock. Hold up, Griff. Y'all ready? I don't think y'all ready. Hey, Griff, bring in the cat. Bring out the cats originally. Griffin Porkchop, who's the the yeah, radio where voice. Did they, where did they put it? I don't think. Yeah, they never no, put it I out, think it, I think that Patrick, who was DJ Patrick, who was way off the scene for a long time, they trusted him to sell it digitally. I think. Uh, uh-huh. it, it, that's it's funny that you mentioned trust because that's that seems like a big thing coming out of Baltimore too. Is that like. I mean, for for me, I get to work with you guys because we did stuff with you and paid you on time for a while. And, you, you know, you, and you're a dude that travels, and so you're around. But there's a lot of guys that 
are from Baltimore who don't trust. They don't like fuck that. with us. Them same dudes don't fuck with us. Why is that? Why? Because they don't understand that labels pay artists 10%. You know what I mean? Or whatever it is. It's 12 points or whatever whatever it is. You know what I mean? It's not most of the time 50-50. Now, of course, that's what we most of the time end up doing. But they think that's unfair. They think they make it. They should get most of the money. They don't understand the 50-50 is so unheard of in the music that it's... Are you real serious? I mean, it's just like when they, when they, they, and they argue with that, and they argue about how much you made. And somebody, for a song I might have mentioned about a minute ago, swears that we sold 40,000 copies of that song mm. way back in 1995. I'm like, dude, if we would have sold that, every label in New York would have came to you, not us, to you, and would have signed you and the damn song and whether you would have sang the new one or not, you would have got paid more than anybody. So that shows you right there. They, at 3,000 sales, they would have did that, not 40,000. Yeah. Yeah. Because they had their, I mean, back then, that's what labels, well, still what labels do, but, you know, they would have caught that local shit and the, made it national. The benchmark was 3,000. If something sold 3,000 independently, they were at you. This is vinyl in the 90s, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and they swear to everybody did that. Oh, you got this. Yeah, because I, yeah, I work a job. Or I will do whatever to make this work. I mean, I, whatever I got to do. You motherfuckers don't. You want to sit home. You want to make beats. You wonder why Scotty B is more popular playing his shit and your shit than you are. Because guess what? I admit that you're a better producer than me. You will never admit that I'm a better DJ than you. And that's where the problem is. You, you just I say, I, I say to every one of those guys that I know is better than me, and it's a ton of them. I can run down the list. Everybody you would say, I would say was better. I say technique's better, right? Mm. I don't have that problem with him. I say uh, Rod Lee's better, right? Yeah, Technics is cool. He's really easy right. to work with. I say Jimmy Jones, but not him, baby. But Boo Man and this one and that, they're all better than me, producer. I say, you know what? My best, if we had a list, if I went head-to-head -head with any of those guys, making a list, 100 joints, me and you, for the best, if we had our two best, would be tied. The other 98 would be your songs. That's how much better you are at me than doing this. I can admit that. You can't fuck with me, DJ and Perry don't even think about it. It's not, it's not there. It's not there. They don't admit that. So they don't work on it. They wonder why. They think that I'm pumped because I played this stuff. Dude, <clears throat> Baltimore Club made you. I made that. I was way before all this. And you know it because guess what? You weren't a DJ. You came to the parties I did. For years and years and years and years, and then you heard us bringing these couple new songs in there, and you liked it, and you knew you could, and you did the same thing, because mm -hmm. you were smart enough to figure out, oh, guess what? They're doing these songs. But I was DJing these places ten years before that shit started. Boy, and I mean, not to get in, into specifics, but there's some Jersey guys that are just real half-assed DJs too, just like just <laughs> fucking train wrecking. You, you that's know? just, but that's just the youth. Yeah, I guess it's not having that much experience. I mean, it's 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 hard though now. It's like, not, it's not like, like when you get put on like a big stage though, it's because the, you've made a few records that are hot, but then you don't have the experience of a Scotty B who's been playing in nightclubs for twenty five years, who's just like there's there's no other. It, it's that like thousand hours of practice or whatever thing you know. It's that ten years before you become an expert or grandmaster or whatever you want to call it. When you're That's young, like I was the same way, I didn't believe that. 
But it's just too. It's just so obvious. It matters less than ever, though. That's the problem. Like you're, you can if you got a hit record, they'll put you. And it's not just you know dudes that that have like a hot record on SoundCloud. I mean, like fuck it. Like, I mean, bands are getting five figures to do DJ sets. But DJs are artists. Yeah, dude. Well, they want they want the DJ. They want whoever made the song. To be the one playing it. Yeah. At the end of the day, even though, of course, if Diplo plays it, it gets great. The song becomes instant hit, that type of thing. But still, they'll bring you in as a DJ. You might not even be a DJ because it's exciting for you to play your song. I mean, I I, I half get it. Well, it's, nine tenths of it is being in the room with that person. Yeah, it's celebrity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're I right. Mean, you're right. There was like that that. Um, and that's why people get paid to host nightclubs. That's why there were the people from the <clears> Jersey Shore. Who were more famous on the show than than Paulie D for the first year or two were getting paid more for their just showing up to host some shit in a club than Paulie D would get paid to show up and DJ at the club. Well, you know, they, in any commercial club, that the host is bigger than the DJ. Yeah, now. I mean, that's a whole yeah. other. I mean, yeah, that's you know, being a DJ. I ain't got to tell you guys, being a DJ is like being a bartender. Like if you're mm. doing it, you know, most clubs, it's like you're there. You're part of the service industry. Mm. You're not. It's not celebrity. <laughs> It's the MC now. Like, I got MCs. Well, man, I want to learn how to DJ. I said, no. Nope. <laughs> I said, no, you don't. No, you don't, because you run everything now. You could you could get you a DJ and carry him with you, and he's going to learn your little shtick, and you're going to learn his, and that, and you're going to be the front, and that's it. And you're going to be the one that's going to be going to the club over to talk about, I need a stack. And you break the DJ off, and that's that. That's what it is. With them kind of clubs, yeah, forget it. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that's uh, that's probably enough of your time. You, you got up at one in the morning to drive up to do the Sway in the Morning show. How'd that go? It, it went great. Show, it Sway? was cool. They they mm-hmm. had they had my kryptonite on. Uh, uh, what? The the turntable sideways. Ugh. <laughs> the turntables turn battle style. He likes them. Oh, you like a normal traditional? Because I've always been so <laughs> short that I'm almost Talk scared to reach over and, and mess with the. It's oh, almost yeah. it's almost so with the. It's almost like. When you know something's right there, I don't have to look. I'm call, nobody does. You don't. I mean, yeah. nobody does. But but it's so ingrained in my head. Yeah. Move it up, down, up, down, and it's right here without looking. I, you know, you, all of you do the same thing. I'm, that's why. Once I get stuck in something, I like everything in Baltimore. Yeah, I'm stuck can, with it. You that's watch it. Scotty DJ, and you can tell he's old school because he doesn't push the record to fix it. Because back in the day. It would skip. He he slides the fader. The the um, I try to do the that the most. up and down a little bit, and so you don't hear the push, and he's just gonna catch the beat just pushing the um the pitch fader. I, I fucking love that. Like, I I do that. I used DJ to do moves. that. I used to do that. That's I saw you do it today. No, I still do this, right? <laughs> I still do this, right? The push, but it's a bad habit. It's yeah. a huge bad habit. It's what like about pinching the no. That's the other and, bad and habit. And I never got. I never did it. But Have that's a bad habit. That yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. fucked the motor up so bad doing that. Yeah. It's unbelievable. Yeah, or, or kind of skipping the platter with your hand. I never did Push. that one, but I, I put my thumb on the side of it. Yeah, to slow oh, it down. God. That's why I can't figure I I suck on CDJs because I try to do all that shit. Like, I try to, like, tap the record to get it to slow it or tap the platter to get oh, it to yeah. slow it. Oh, yeah. It just stops. Yeah. I know. You got to have like, that uh, break shit set right or whatever. Oh, I mean, I God. can't set it right. So I Yeah, I have no. Every time I'm in front of CDJs, I'm like, well, I like, I look at it. I'm you just, better learn that. You better be very subtle. Basically. Subtle with the pitch control to get it to catch up and then move it back or oh, move it forward. So it's at that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it feels like steering a boat. That's sometimes. Sean Caesar. That's Sean Caesar. That motherfucker blend. You. 
Talking about ripping on CDJs? No, just blending, period. Like, oh. turn, he will blend records. So, he blends three records. Never comes off. And I mean, he'll blend them till they go to the end and won't touch them. He's so good. With, I mean, with that, he'll turn around like... The only like, person I've seen do, do shit like that is like Bad Boy Bill or Doc Martin. No, he's... I'm telling you, he's better than them. I'm t- Sean was the man with house music. He was the man. And... He'll turn around while we're playing, right? It's three. You see what I'm doing? You see what the fuck I'm doing? I'm going to go ahead and get me a drink. And they will lie. And he, they don't move. They never move. I've never been nowhere near that, good That's how I take a dump in the club he's shit. He's crazy with that. And he's always been. He could do that right now. And don't, and don't even really mix no more. He could still do that right now to this uh-huh. day. He's, not, he's bananas with that blended. I mean, yeah. it's crazy. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, this is, uh, this is Small Talk. Scotty B, Skinny Friedman, go get that Unruly remixes. It's free on TNARecords.com. Uh, thank you all for coming out to, to talk to me, and we will talk to you shortly. Peace. Peace. This is Small Talk Podcast with DJ Ayers on Brooklyn Radio. We'll talk to you shortly.